1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. Two episodes today, both on the same theme of working less to achieve more. It's interesting that 2020's big themes about the future of work were about to be consumed with discussions of four-day weeks and shorter hours. But now as the world is really obsessed, and rightfully so, with the fallout of coronavirus, a lot of the chat is going towards remote working discussions. Is working shorter or at home the future of sustainable working? I was really struck on my visit to the US a couple of weeks ago that the discussion about the future of work over there is resolutely just about working remotely. I went into one place to to do a talk and someone said to me, we Americans love working. We don't want to work fewer hours. I kind of don't believe that, but I do understand how it can feel like something that people feel is the consensus. Today's two podcasts talk about working shorter from two different angles. The first episode is a discussion with Alex Soo-Jung Kimpong, former guest on the show. He was, he was previously, previously talking about his book, Rest. And There are two podcasts because the second one is a case study of Andrew Barnes' company, Perpetual Guardian, who switched to four days a week as a route to productivity growth. What are the questions that they needed to ask? What answers do you need back from your team? What is the research saying? Find out all of this on that podcast. The critical questions for me of both Alex and of Andrew were practical ones. And I've put most of the detail in this episode's PDF. If you want that, it's in the show notes. You can also find it on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.com forward slash fix your work and you'll find a PDF there. And that just gives you some of the evidence really to inform a discussion about working to a shorter week yourself. Also, while remote workings in the news, this week's newsletter covers some of the best advice that others have shared over the last few days. So let's dive into today's discussions. Both first guest, Alex Sujun Kimpung, and second episode guest, Andrew Barnes, are at pains to point out that the four day work week is coming about not because we want to be nicer to people, but because we want to get more done. Does it work? Well, you can decide. Let's dive in. First, here's my discussion with Alex Sujun Kimpong. Alex, good to have you back on the podcast. We've been in touch a bit over the last couple of years, haven't we, have you, as you've been thinking about these things. So I'm glad it's finally taken the form of this new book, Shorter. I think just to kick us off, how long have you been researching this and what made you choose this as an area you were going to go into next?
1: Well, you know, very broadly, this is a sequel to my previous book, mm. Rest, which is about the lives of really creative and prolific people and the hidden role that rest played in helping make them who they were. When I finished that, I had not thought about writing a sequel. But when I was promoting that book, I got a lot of questions along the lines of, okay, this sounds great, but you know, if you are a working mom with you know a couple kids. What do you do in order to get more rest? And often it was posed as, what tips or tricks do you have for working mothers? Which made me realize that actually for a lot of people, there are enormous structural impediments to organizing our time to get more rest. And really what working moms need is not more life advice for middle-aged guys. I think most of them probably get plenty of that, but rather... What they need is an economy and a vision of careers and work that doesn't assume that they're going to you know, raise kids as if they don't work, work as if they don't raise kids, do both simultaneously, and then take the blame if they don't do both to some impossibly high yet vague standard. And so that started me thinking more about how to attack the kinds of structural issues that convince us that overwork is a great thing that you know burnout is kind of an occupational hazard and that got me looking at companies that were shortening their working hours and I was really, sh- I was actually shocked to find there are a lot of them.
2: In- loads in the UK, yeah. right? Your book really dwells on the, the 32 UK companies yeah. in the book.
1: Yeah, you know, something like a third of the, almost a third of them are are in the UK. There are a bunch in Japan and Korea, which really surprised mm. me, given that you know both of these are countries whose languages have words for working yourself to death. So they're very much going against the grain of business culture there. But they're also in all kinds of industries, right? Not just like creative industries, where you would expect people to both be able to organize their time, rebrand themselves as a cool place because they work in this different way, but also places like restaurants, factories, and nursing homes, where it's a lot more difficult to decide just how you're going to work for yourself. All of that together made me think, this is an emerging global movement that just isn't really aware of itself yet. And so part of the reason that I wrote the book was to help all these places that are already doing it realize that they are part of a much bigger thing and to make it more accessible to other companies and to solopreneurs and and others who have the instinct that there's a better way that we can work and just haven't found it yet.
2: Yeah. I mean, one thing you stumbled upon there that was scribbled in my notes was that, in many ways, this is... The whole movement appears to be a, a one of the gifts that working mums have given to society. That, yeah. You know, that you, you mentioned it there, but the, the fact that working mums can be so incredibly productive mm-hmm. um, has demonstrated that actually the way that we're working seems to be often constructed in a bad way. So let me ask this question then. So why now? Why is this movement happening now?
1: Why now instead of like 10 or 20 years ago or such? Or, you know,
2: that's a that's a really good question. Well, past- you know, yeah. because you mentioned something in there, which is some factories in the past have always gone to these four times 10 hours, right. largely because it saves on uh, on the heating, it saves on, you know, if you're manufacturing chocolate, you don't have to keep warming right. the chocolate. For, Infrastructure or, costs and yeah, that sort that's of thing. Yeah, right. that's right. So, so the, there are historical reasons when this did happen in other industries. Mm-hmm. So why all of a sudden in 2020 is it a big topic?
1: I think it has reached a kind of critical mass now because, first of all, In a number of different industries, there is a widespread recognition that endemic burnout, problems of recruitment and retention, really stubborn issues with gender parity that have eluded solution, despite often some very well-meaning policies. We're seeing conversations in the software industry, the restaurant industry, law, medicine, et cetera, that a sense that these problems aren't going away. And that they're actually pretty expensive, right? There have been a number of studies recently, including a great book called uh, Dying for a Paycheck, Mm. that measure the the large-scale economic costs of things like toxic workplaces and burnout and how much economies lose from working women not being able to return to full-time jobs. Just on the public health side. What a Stanford economist found was that burnout and overwork are as big a public health problem in the United States as smoking.
2: Okay. Was that Jeffrey Pfeffer as well? That's Jef- yeah. Okay,
1: so yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly that's Pfeffer's book. Yeah. You know, and so I think that we have more conversations within fields about these problems. We have a greater sense of the bottom line cost of them. And I think that thanks to things like flexible work programs and the experiences of a lot of working parents, mainly working mothers, that they have been working three or four days a week doing a combination of working in the office and working from home, and they've been just as productive Mm. as they were working five days. All of this together gives us a sense that it's really urgent that we make these changes and that it's possible to do so.
2: Because that was one of my questions, whether this was benefit of affluence, is it whether <laughs> this was the benefit of success. So, for example, you, you give one example where one company said that they'd observed that 90% of a salesperson's targets were hit by Thursday. Right. And so they were debating getting rid of Friday. And for me, that felt like, okay, but you're still losing 10% there. and. there there might be some function that that's slack in the system. So if you're not hitting 90% on one particular week, you can have a very productive Friday. Mm -hmm. It feels like slack in the system, and having slack in the system seems to be a healthy part of working. I remember a, a union worker a few years ago, he said time off is the new salary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, working less is the new financial benefit. And I I just wondered whether this was, as we were evolving to another stage of capitalism, the luxury of having more time was one of the things that we we were choosing to do, or Mm -hmm. whether you were saying, actually, as we're evolving, we can produce more, and working less seems to be one of the ways we produce more. Mm -hmm. I think
1: that... Well, you know, both are true, that it's definitely the case that in a working world where issues around inequality, around, you know, zero hours contracts and precarious work have become more urgent. The idea that working fewer hours in stable jobs is a tremendous benefit, and more broadly, that rest and the ability to claim leisure is not exactly like a civil rights issue— but it's not that far from it. It's certainly an issue of inequality, is one thing. And I think all of us have the sense that mobile technologies, the internet, all of these things have actually made specific tasks far more efficient. Right? We have a capacity to be a lot more productive than we are now. But we also have the experience of those things not really translating into productivity gains or time savings. There is this sense we could figure out how to use these tools more effectively to actually realize the benefits we first imagined with them. And indeed, that's a lot of what these companies do. Mm. Is this another stage toward fully automated luxury communism or something else that's going to define capitalism? I think it's too early to tell, Mm. right? These are still early days. And frankly, these companies Shorten their work weeks in order to solve really specific everyday problems, recruitment and retention issues, work-life balance, sustainability, preventing the burnout of founders. Mm. It so me that
2: creativity is one of them as well. Creativity. Workplace satisfaction is, is a big criteria. Right.
1: You know, keeping people happy. Yeah. Both at home and at work. These aren't big theoretical questions about the future of capitalism. This is, you know, live and die stuff for Mm. the next six months. These changes do carry the seeds of some very big shifts in the way that we think about time, the way we value our work. And so I think that they do make a better future possible, but they don't set us automatically on the path to a specific future.
2: And you document so many examples. We're going to dive in now to sort of a selection of them. Do you see yourself as uh, the soapbox standing? Are you campaigning <laughs> for a four-day week? or Not just four-day <laughs> week, actually, is it? But for working in a, a shorter way.
1: I was actually giving a talk at University of Kent last week. Someone asked me to essentially to kind of theorize some about, you know, about this and how it fits into late-stage capitalism. And I realized, you know, if you want me to be Karl Marx, and I'm not. I'm Friedrich Engels. I'm the guy who's who's going into the factories and writing about what people are doing. And in the course of it, I think maybe turning into a little bit of a revolutionary myself. Right.
2: So you started objectively, but you've ended up with being impressed with some of the impact of it.
1: Yes. I mean, I think I was, you know, I was always predisposed to think that more rest is good, given the last book that I wrote. I do think that it would be a shame if this movement didn't catch fire. If I can add a couple sparks to that, that will be a good thing to do with my life.
2: If someone was, we're going to go to the benefit of tests and experiments and prototyping, but if so, someone was to take a proposal to their boss saying, I would love us to try this, mm-hmm. are there two or three data points that they should be putting on that paper?
1: Well, you could point to, to the increased profitability that companies have seen. An easy one is Microsoft Japan did a trial last August where they tried a four-day week. Profits went up by 40% during that month, which is high. It's not out of the ballpark compared to the increases in profitability that lots of these companies see you could point to... Incre- is there
2: a, is there a worry of regression to the mean? So you go into an experiment, and then once you drop the experiment, right. the you actually revert to the previous behavior?
1: Great question. And the answer seems to be no, which actually surprised me. I mean, I thought there was going to be a Hawthorne effect kind of thing where... Yeah, you get a few months of happiness and then it you know, people just become accustomed to to gains. They turn into the new normal. But what we've seen in companies that are measuring happiness at work, satisfaction, et cetera, is that the numbers go up and they stay up. Okay. And indeed, even things like in one place, the number of people who thought that they had enough time to get their work done actually increased from before. From when they were working five days a week, from about 50% of people to 80%. And so, even. Why? How? How? So, How? our sense of time is subjective. But the key there was that because this place and all the companies that, that successfully adopt a four day week, change their internal culture and the way that they work and kind of redesign their work days. You end up clearing out the distractions, the demands for multitasking, the constant stream of interruptions that define so many of our lives. What that leaves you with is a shorter workday or shorter work week, but one in which you have more time to focus, to get into flow, to get stuff done. And that creates a sense that you actually have more time in a four-day week than you do in five.
2: Okay, so so let's go into so the first thing you advise is that people should try experiments. Which would you say first? Prototype how it might work and then test them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the first thing you do is kind of game out um, what you think could go wrong, where you think the benefits are. Do kind of a SWOT analysis, right? Part of the reason you do that is the process itself can help people think about how they can redesign their work. It can also serve to turn people from skeptics into enthusiasts. Very often in places that do good work, the initial reaction to an announcement that we're going to try a four-day week is not like champagne corks and confetti, but skepticism, right? You often hear, I can't get all my work done in five days. How am I going to do it in four? Mm. And so, and these are people who want to do a good job and you don't want to ruin that for them. The first thing you got to do is help them see that, yeah, actually we can probably make this work. And so the things that everyone does that are essential, I think, for making a four-day week successful are, number one, you cut down as many meetings as possible and you make the meetings a lot shorter. Meetings are an hour long. So far as I can tell, because a programmer in Redmond in the 1980s set that as a default in a calendaring program and we've never questioned it. They don't have to be an hour long. They can be 15 or 20 minutes long. They can start on time rather than have people drift in, you know, in the first five minutes and get themselves settled. They can end on time. They can be much shorter and sharper. You go in with an agenda, with things that need to be decided. You do that stuff and then you're out of there. By doing that, you free up a lot of time in people's schedules. Everyone thinks meetings can be better, so this is a kind of easy win for the organization. And it also gets you thinking, okay, this is a thing I've complained about for years. If we can fix this, what else can we do? Mm. You know, the next thing is deal with technology distractions, the constant interruptions of email, the Slack channel, and what places will do is often have particular times of day late morning usually and then the afternoon when you check your email and you deal with all that stuff. So that way, you know, you essentially batch that rather than try and deal with it continuously.
2: Tell me this, is there sort of a level of exhaustion baked into the way that most of us are working? So so I saw one of the companies in your system, Flock, was breaking days into 6 hours and yeah. there was there's two blocks of 3 hours. So 3 hours in the morning, 3 hours in the afternoon, but it was whether it was mandated or it was definitely suggested no social media in that time. Mm-hmm. You just worked solidly, and I wondered whether the the fact that people were using social media during the day was a a way to just re-energize themselves, so hit themselves with dopamine while they're exhausted.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think that interruptions and multitasking are themselves kind of tiring. Yeah. I think the other thing with checking social media at work is that it is often less of a break than we think because some of the same parts of your brain that you use in order to evaluate you know, social interactions at work are the ones you use when you're on Twitter. You know, it's the same issues around status and how you're communicating and stuff. And so it feels more like a break than it actually is. And what Flock did was they have Fika, coffee breaks that are, you know, that everyone takes at the same time, Mm. which means that, you know, you have more of a permission to, for everyone to focus on their work at the same time and not interrupt each other. But it also means that the social life of the office continues and enriched because a lot of us come to work partly to see other people. You know, when you're working on your own, that's often one of the things that you miss. Lock and most other companies have something in their schedules to make sure that the social life of the office is not torn apart by people having to concentrate more and simply being in the office less during the week.
2: Was Flock the one where, when they'd gone to this new thing, they were using their lunch hour between, that previously they'd all been working at their desks, and now they all gathered together socially. Was that was that, that place? Yeah. There was, yeah,
1: that was Flock. They're not unusual. Plenty of smaller places talk about instituting group lunches, or even sometimes cooking together, mm. which is actually a really good thing to do, both socially and also because studies show that, you know, of teams that cook together actually perform better as teams at work.
2: Mm. We talked a bit there about four day weeks, but there is also six hour days. And mm-hmm. the thing that really struck me in one of the case studies about six hour days is that younger workers in one company said they preferred they preferred doing a whole day, yeah. because mm-hmm. it allowed them to work in a more relaxed way. Mm-hmm. And there was another company where they've gone down to a four day week, and they're observing that a few of the workers were coming in on Friday. Yeah. For a couple of hours on investigation, these workers were coming in, doing two hours work, and then going to the pub, right? And uh, and <laughs> and not telling their partners they were on a four-day week, right? So this, I think, I think that that
1: only lasted, you know, a few weeks, and finally, you know, word did get Amazing. out. But you know, it's a fabulous example of the importance of you know, sociability in the office, and I think that the the example of the company that chose to go back to an eight-hour day, does tell us that this requires people who have some experience, who are essentially confident enough about their jobs to say, I know how to redesign this. You know, I've been doing this long enough so that I know what places get wrong and I can get it right. And in the case of that company, Tourism Marketing Agency in Glasgow, they had had a bunch of developers who also worked with them and for them moving to a 6 hour day was like easy right you know you do pomodoro you do a bunch of other things and you can knock the work out but i think that you know for young marketing people they they felt like a 6 hour day would like flatten out their learning curve and so yeah and so when the company split they decided you know what um we want to try go we want to try normal hours and see how this how this works
2: for us So I guess that overall spirit is that it's try what works but not feel constrained by the rules that came to you from the past Yeah I mean
1: I think that the you know um you get to a stage where you start to question everything. Yeah. And you know, everything can mean like the arrangement of your office. Um it can mean the tools that you're using. It can mean the way that you think about overwork itself, right? Lots of the lots of company founders talk about how overwork goes from being a badge of honor to a to a sign of a pathology, mm. right? It's not that you're working hard, it's that you don't know how to do your job effectively. And when you think about, you know, how we treat overwork as, you know, as like an expression of passion, as this great thing, you know, to move from that to seeing it as actually something that shows that something's wrong, Mm. that's a real sea change. So, you know, it's a, it's, I think it's a powerful example of how these kinds of structural changes and changes in practice can kind of naturally remake a company culture And can encourage people to take a mindset that is, you know, more experimental, more experimental, that has, I guess, you know, Carol Dweck uh, talks about a growth mindset. You know, companies love that. You can't pay people enough to adopt like an open experimental growth mindset. Give them the challenge of a four-day week, on the other hand, and they just adopt it
2: themselves. Mm.
1: And that's incredibly valuable.
2: There's dozens of little different ways that people do it. Some companies went to having Wednesday afternoon off. Some mm-hmm. companies moved all of their meetings to afternoons so that it was deep work in the morning, meetings were in the afternoon. We mentioned Flock. They went to these two blocks of three hours. A lot of companies introduced, so you mentioned Pomodoro there, and mm-hmm. that, and that's this system that derives from tomato-shaped, ends the word, right. uh, kitchen timers where you do blocks of 25 minutes Uninterrupted work, right? And the way you described it, it seemed like some people have got those as little lights on their desk. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there are uh, lots of
1: companies will have some kind of some kind of visual signaling system. Whether it is a you know a light on the desk, it is a timer that they have. Some of them have hourglasses. One has pictures of their pets. I don't know why that is but okay. they've got pictures of their pets. Um and then there's one that even has um an on, you know the 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 red on-air lights that you have over studios. They switch that on when they're when everyone is in like focused mode and that you know and that serves as a remi- as a collective reminder and also you know if you get a phone call it's you know it's a it's a signal that You should take that outside, you know, if you've got to talk to a client then. And then a little bit people play around with space. The same company that has the on-air light has a set of really comfy chairs and couches where they entertain guests and pitch to clients. And then they've got a little round table with some hard chairs for their own internal meetings because they don't want the meetings to be very long. And so they're using the space in the corner and the slightly uncomfortable sort of furniture to remind people to get stuff done so that they can get out of there.
2: Is there any risk that we're all getting high on our own supply here <laughs> and, and uh, this is going to be a innovation, a trend, a fad mm-hmm. that we rewind in five years' time?
1: Any managerial innovation can be done badly. And any good policy can be gamed by unscrupulous people to get an unfair advantage. When I have given talks about the four-day week, I almost always get a question along the lines of this is awesome. Now, how can we do all these things with the meetings and stuff and get the productivity gains and still get people to do to work five day weeks?
2: Right. Right. Sad question though, isn't it? Exactly. No, it's 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 it's
1: completely reasonable given where most people are coming from. It's early enough so that we haven't seen a lot of failures. I haven't, I don't really have examples of this going sideways yet. It will be interesting to see what that looks Mm. like, how people do it badly enough so that they feel that they can't continue Mm. it.
2: I think that's it. Hence why sort of starting with tests, starting with experiments seems to be so critical to yeah. the success of this. But the whole of it is laced with fear, isn't it? We we inevitably fear that by moving to something like this, which feels more progressive, maybe seems to, to be a response to everyone's exhaustion levels and burnout levels that we're all experiencing, that moving to this though, it might actually mean that our company goes into a tailspin and we end up, turning that systematic exhaustion that we've all got into something far worse, which is a failure of our team.
1: Yeah. I know what does motivate some companies and some leaders to try this is the sense that if they don't make a big change, they're going to burn out in the next mm. 18 months. And if you are a company founder or you're a head chef and owner of a restaurant, that's you know, that's the death of your company. Mm. Very often... You're faced with the prospect that you've got to make this risky change in the face of a worse outcome. That's been the motivator for a lot of these companies. So, you know, they're driven by the fear of something even worse. And, You do have to kind of overcome a whole bunch of other fears that you have about what could go wrong. Everyone worries that clients are going to hate this. That's probably the single biggest thing that everyone's concerned about. I think in a lot of these places, you've got enough people, moms who've done flexible work, people who have other kinds of experiences so that they're fairly confident that you can do like the internal things. You can figure out a lot of that, but how the market's going to respond how, how current and prospective clients are going to respond, that's always the big question mark. Mm. What answer? The answer is that clients are a lot more supportive than you would expect. Okay. I have had exactly one story of a prospective client who said, no, I need someone who's going to be sleeping with the phone under their pillow. It turns out that clients are supportive partly because, number one, if you're doing project work for them, So long as you deliver good work on time, however you organize it is your business. But the other thing is that clients are dealing with retention problems and work life balance and these things themselves. It's one thing to hear about someplace in Sweden that's moved to a six hour day. In America, you talk about like Swedish businesses are doing this, and you might as well be saying the elves in Middle Earth are doing it. It's cool, but it has nothing to do with the way we live. To have a company that you've worked with, whose culture you know, who knows your culture, trying it, that hits a lot closer to home. And the things that they learn may be things that can help you. And so I think that the companies that try four day weeks actually turn out to get a pretty fair amount of encouragement from some of their clients because if it works for them, it can work for you.
2: More from my discussion with Alex Soojung Kimpong after this. Small details are big
0: surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes.
2: If you're enjoying this episode or you've just enjoyed previous episodes, I never do this normally, but please rate us on your Apple Podcast app. Go to the podcast page. There's an opportunity to click a star rating. That's all you need to do. Simple free act for you, but it means that Apple recommends the podcast to more people. I greatly appreciate it. Now back to my discussion with the author of Shorter, Alex Sujun Kingpong.
1: The one other thing is the impact on women's careers. One of the most significant things that the four-day week does is change the way that working mothers are valued in the workplace and in the job market for four-day weeks. There's probably not a working mother who hasn't had the experience of having, even in supportive places, colleagues or bosses, wonder how committed they are because Mm. they've got to leave at three or Mm. they're working some at home. In contrast, places that are working four-day weeks don't put any value on people who can stay for 12 hours. They don't want people working 12-hour days. They want people who can knock the work out and get out of there. And so in this market, you need people who have enough experience so that they can redesign their jobs, who are good collaborators, who are good organizers, and are totally ruthless in prioritizing and doing their work. And who is it who has those abilities? Working moms, right? And so in most of the economy, motherhood is something for which you pay a penalty, whereas in Companies that work four-day weeks, motherhood earns you a premium. And that's one of the biggest and I think most hopeful changes that I see in you know, in these companies and one of the biggest potential impacts that a wider spread adoption of the four-day week could have because this would unlock a lot of value and a lot of productivity in every developed country.
2: Mm, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you to Alex. His book Shorter came out last week. Not a lot of chat here, because if you're interested in this, go straight on to the next episode. It's a discussion with someone who took the plunge and turned his company four days. Thank you for listening. I've been Bruce Daisley. Rate and review, and I'll love you forever. See you next time.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.